Hello. Welcome to the Fantastic Fiction at KGB podcast. I'm Rajan Khanna. Fantastic Fiction at KGB is a monthly reading series held on the third Wednesday of every month at the famous KGB bar in Manhattan's East Village. Fantastic Fiction is hosted by Ellen Datlow and Matthew Kressel and features up-and-comers and luminaries in the fields of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. The following audio was recorded live at the KGB bar, so please excuse the various background noises, bumps in the night, and other disturbances that you might hear. It's a live reading in New York City, and anything can and often does happen. And now, on to this month's reading. We hope you enjoy the following recording, and we thank you for listening. How's everyone doing tonight? Yeah. Thank you for joining us. This is the Fantastic Fiction at KGB Reading Series. We're held on the third Wednesday of every month. My name's Matthew Kressel. I co-host this series with Ellen Datlow, and we've been doing it for a long time. Um, Ellen and I, well, Ellen's been hosting for over a decade. I've been hosting for almost a decade. The series itself has been going since the late 90s. You may have heard that we're having a fundraiser. Um, so it costs us a little bit of money to run the series each month, about $120 a month. It costs us about $1,500 a year to keep the series going. Now, the bar is always free. There's never a cover charge. All we ask is that you, you know, buy a drink, tip your bartenders, etc. They're working hard to keep you hydrated and the authors hydrated. And um, what we basically what happens is every couple of years we do a fundraiser because and we're running out of money. So we're we're just asking for a little bit of help. So we're doing a Kickstarter. And uh, we're not, uh, if you donate to the series, it's not like you just give money and it goes into the void, you get something in return. For example, we have some prizes, or rewards I should say, that the Kickstarter calls them, uh, that you can get if you donate to the series. Um, not all of these have been listed on the Kickstarter, by the way. So I will just go down the list here. Uh, John Crowley, to sign copies of his books. John Joseph Adams is giving, um, now keep in mind I printed from Excel and I hate Excel, so like, <laughs> like the fonts are all weird, so I'm just gonna squint and, and stuff, but um, he's giving um, away trade pa paperbacks of uh, Queers Destroy Science Fiction. Uh, Ellen Datlow is giving away lots of, lots of stuff, Alien Sex, signed by Ellen. <laughs> Uh, Blood and Other Craving, a lot, let's put it this way, Ellen's got a lot of anthologies that she's signed. Um, Jason Sizemore is giving away subscriptions to Apex Magazine. Um, Neil Gaiman today just told us that he's giving away uh, four uh, rare signed copies of, uh, of his books. Um, do you remember the four? One of them was American Gods. Okay. Um, so if you know what a Tuckerization is, authors will write your name into a story, okay? So Nancy Crest is doing this, uh, James Patrick Kelly, who else do we have? Um, I know we have more, than, oh, Jeffrey Ford. Awesome. Yes, Jeffrey Ford's doing a Tuckerization. So how would you like to be a character in Jeffrey Ford's story? That's, yes, exactly, you do not want that. Maybe they'll pay to not be a character in a Jeffrey Ford story. Um, one of my favorites here, John Langan will write a monster for you. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Oh, critiques, right? So, um, God, this printout is terrible. I'm sorry. Um, 
we had to go there, didn't we? Um, Nova Rensuma will give you the first, uh, give you a critique of the first three chapters of a YA novel. Um, the old, how much is that? You'll have to check the Kickstarter. I believe it's three. I'll give you money right now. I believe it's three hundred dollars. All right. Uh, the Altered Fluid Group, which includes um, some of the members reading tonight, uh, actually both Eugene Myers and Sam Miller and Nora Jemison and Lila Wild and Mercurio D. Rivera and Chris Dykeman and a host of other people. Um, you can get a critique from from them as well. So. Uh, long story short, uh, check us out. Uh, it's fantastic fiction at KGB. Just Google it. We're on Kickstarter. And uh, if you can donate, uh, even if you want to donate as little as $5, we're really, really grateful. Okay, enough with the spiel. Thank you for indulging us on that. And thank you for supporting the series for all these years. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we use the money, as Ellen asked. We use it to basically... Um, go on really nice vacations. And, uh, wasn't Barbados beautiful? No, we, we, uh, we give the authors a stipend, and we uh, tip the bartender, and we take the authors out to dinner after the reading. It's really pretty simple. Um, and, you know, we think that the authors should, should receive a little money for traveling all the way here and, and, uh, and joining us tonight. Um, as always, uh, Word Bookstore is in the back with books for sale. I believe they have Eugene Myers' uh, titles in the back. Do, do you know what they have, Eugene? Yeah, they have, uh, they have The Silence of Six and Against All Silence, which are uh, about teenage hackers investigating government conspiracies. Basically, it's, it's what's happening right now. <laughs> and there are also some free copies of um, short stories that are tie-ins tie to the series. So you can just go back there, pick these up, and then you know, if you like to buy a hardcover, then go for it. Thanks. And um, Sam says that uh, his book, The Art of Starving, is not out yet, but he has some um, stickers that he will sign that you can put in the book when, on, when you buy it. <laughs> Our first reader is E.C. Myers. E.C. Myers was assembled in the U.S. from Korean and German parts and raised by a single mother in the public library in Yonkers, New York. He has published four novels and short stories in various magazines and anthologies, including Space and Time magazine, Hidden Youth, Speculative Stories of Marginalized Children, and Kaleidoscope, Diverse YA Science Fiction and Fantasy. His first novel, Fair Coin, won the 2012 Andre Norton Award for Young Adult SF and Fantasy. And how do you say that? Yelsa, Y-A-L-S-A? Yelsa? Yelsa selected The Silence of Six as one of its top 10 quick picks for reluctant young adult readers in 2016. His next book will be 1985, Stories from SOS, a collection of stories related to the silence of six from, I think there's a typo there, stories related to the silence of six. And he continues to write for Remade, a science fiction series from Serial Box Publishing. Here's Eugene Myers. Hi, everyone. It is brighter back here than I remember it. Thank you. Um, hi, I'm really glad to be back here. I actually read at KGB about five years ago, I think, um, on my birthday for Faircoin. Um, and since then, I moved to Philadelphia, and then we moved to basically Hershey, Pennsylvania. So, but I came here today from there via Philadelphia, because uh, I'm also working there now. Uh, but pretty much most of what I miss about New York is right here in this room. So 
Really glad to be back. Um, I'm going to read a most of a story that's going to be in an anthology. Well, I guess they call it a um, multi-author novel uh, called Feral Youth, uh, which is edited by Sean Hutchinson. It'll be out in September. And it's about 10 teenagers who are on a survival wilderness trip. Um, and to pass the time, they tell stories to each other, kind of like the Canterbury Tales, only YA. Um, so I've been on kind of a George Orwell kick a lot with my uh, Sons of Six books. And again, the headlines. Um, and uh, this story is called Big Brother. <clears throat> you know that invisible hand video that went viral a couple of years ago? Of course you do. Everyone's seen it. As of last month, the last time I had internet access, it had over two and a half billion views, almost as much as Gangnam Style. I bet if it were shorter and had music, it would be number one. Missed opportunities. On the other hand, people have cut it down and remixed it with everything from the Ghostbusters theme, too obvious, to Hamilton Satisfied, strangely satisfying. And there's just no beating the original, pun intended. Okay, so if you haven't seen it, you've probably heard about it unless you've been living under a rock, which is, we're living without Wi-Fi, which is the same thing. The original video is really long, about six hours. Six hours, seven minutes, 42 seconds to be exact. Sure, most viewers only watch a certain 17 minutes near the beginning, but the length of the video helps make the case for its authenticity. You really haven't seen it? Okay. The video shows a pretty average teenage girl's bedroom and a pretty average teenage girl sleeping in bed. Lights on, which yeah, maybe seems weird. A lot of people have pointed to that as evidence that it's a hoax, but there's a reason for it, trust me. And she's sleeping on top of the covers with gym shorts and a tank top. There's a book next to her, but you can't quite make out what it is. It's the Martian Chronicles. Yes, the book could explain why the light's on, if she fell asleep while reading it, but that's not knocking the book. I've read it. It's a good book. Sometimes even a good book will make you fall asleep if you're tired enough, if you've been staying up late, night after night, trying to stay awake, night after night. The picture quality is embarrassingly low, like it's been recorded through the webcam on a laptop. Exactly like that, because it was. You see her sleeping for a few minutes, and it's around then that people start fast-forwarding, or they check out and switch to the latest episode of The Psychic Twins. Watching a random girl sleeping either makes you feel like an Edward Cullen-level creep, or it turns you on, but if you wait for it, yeah, people have remixed it with that Hamilton song too, then you'll see something start to happen. She starts to move a little bit, kind of a shimmy, kind of a wiggle, and she smiles. Then she opens her mouth, and her breath hitches. She gasps, and do you want me to go on? Do you need a moment? Okay. Then she arches her back a little and she moans. Yeah, the way you think, all sexy-like, like she must be having the best dream ever. You wish you were having that dream. Maybe you wish she were dreaming about you. By the end of the video, she's doing full-on When Harry Met Sally, and please don't tell me you haven't seen that classic film either. I don't want to know. And that's basically it. 17 minutes of a teenage girl having mind-blowing orgasms or faking them depending on how you want to look at it. Shouldn't be anything unusual about that. Should be an everyday occurrence if there's a kind and loving God out there. Unless he's the kind of God that frowns on orgasms outside of marriage. And I want no part of that religion. Thank you very much. So here's the really strange thing why everyone's talking about it. It isn't clear why she's coming. She isn't moving her hands, which stay out of her shorts the whole time. And she's alone. That's why people have been talking about the invisible hand. But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than that. Yes, I do know a lot about that video. I've studied it obsessively unhealthily. But so is everyone else, right? What I'm saying is there's a reason for everything if you look for it. And before I go on with this story, there are three things you need to know. Number one, the girl's name is Allison Kim. Allie. 
It wasn't listed on the video, but there's been a ton of articles and it wasn't long before she was outed in the video's comments. But don't read the comments. Never read the comments. <laughs> I knew her name before everyone else did because that's number two. I recorded the video. I don't blame you for not believing me, but why would I lie about something you can confirm easily when we get back to civilization? My username is Day of the Tentacle. My channel has over two million subscribers since everything happened. But it may have fallen some since I haven't been able to update it while under this rock. Oh yeah, number three, Allie's my sister. If that makes you think I'm a bad person, that's fine. Everything's fine. I've seen that look before from people I care about a lot more than you lot. I'm not interested in winning friends and influencing people. I'm just going to tell you my story, Allie's story, because I have to. I have to, because no one else will listen. I promise you, everything I'm saying is the absolute truth, and it's not what you think. But hold on, there's one more thing. I wasn't completely honest before when I described Allie as a pretty average teenage girl. She is, was, astonishing. Top of her class, world-class swimmer, future doctor, overachiever. There's nothing average about her. That was all before the video, naturally, but I don't deserve all the blame for what happened to her. I'm still trying to understand what happened to her. Maybe you can help me figure it out. But first, let me ask you something. Do you believe in ghosts and aliens and things that go bump in the night? So, how did my sister, a popular A student and a model Christian daughter, end up as a viral video? End up the sexual fantasy of millions of strangers, the soundtrack for thousands of lonely, horny losers getting off every day? Worse, how did she end up mocked, bullied, bitter, and ultimately missing? As with most tragedies, as for most of us here right now on the survival trip, it was all an accident. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. See, I didn't build my YouTube following with spy cameras and voyeurism and good intentions. I made short films, videos that no one watched, that ironically were planned to have the best chance at being the next viral sensation. But that's not how these things work. The next internet meme is the video that no one saw coming. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean that pun, really. <laughs> it's the video that should never have existed that some people later wished hadn't been recorded. It's a video that was never meant to be seen by anyone, let alone two and a half billion someones. Certainly not by your parents, especially not your sister, the unsuspecting subject of said video. It began in the middle of the night. I was up late editing a short film starring my friends Ryan and Tony. Ryan's a girl, Tony's a guy. Kind of confusing, I know, but gender can be complicated. And speaking of complicated, I slept with both of them. No, not at the same time. Technically, it was just blowjobs with Tony once when we were drunk. And while you might call Ryan and me fuck buddies, no strings attached, the truth is, there are a lot of strings. Tangled, messy strings. I'm in love with that girl. The film is a little comedy piece about the last slice of cake in the cafeteria. In the story, it turns out it's all happening after the apocalypse, and the cake is really a brick, and Ryan's character is dead, and Tony's character has been trying to survive in the high school, eating the remains of his friends, and hallucinating the whole thing. Dark comedy, okay? It needs work. <laughs> It was taking longer to edit than usual because I was distracted watching Ryan and Tony interact, especially during outtakes when they thought the camera was off, when I told them the camera was off. I was trying to decide if there was something going on between the two of them because they had been acting chummier than before and awkward around me. The three of us have started all my videos, sometimes with Allie. That was kind of my thing, my signature, the way Tim Burton always worked with Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter, and Joss Whedon is always going to find something for Amy Acker, and Christopher Guest films are all basically the same movie with the same people. It makes it a lot easier to work with your best friends, less drama, or so I thought. So I'm editing and watching Ryan and Tony, and for some reason I start getting really turned on and wondering if they're fucking now and if there's a chance at a threesome and if they'd let me film it. Soon I'm jerking off, thinking about Ryan's perfect little breasts and Tony's warm mouth on my dick and Allie, whoa, Allie? 
And I paused the video and realized that I'm thinking about sex because I hear moaning, not on the recording. It's coming from the other side of my bedroom wall. Did I finish? What do you think? Another thing you need to know about my sister, she's 15. She was 13 then, and I'm not saying that's too young to be fooling around and having a good time. I'm the last person to suggest that, believe me. But she's my little sister, and I know her better than I know myself. Specifically, I know three important facts. She doesn't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. She barely has any friends, to be honest. She's a virgin. She doesn't have time to think about that kind of stuff. Sex stuff, relationships, people. She doesn't masturbate. Forget what I said before about how everyone masturbates. There are exceptions to every rule, at least there are when it's a 13-year-old girl and she really, really, really believes in God the way that I believe in Sasquatch, and our parents would be murderous if they could hear the way she's carrying on. Fortunately, they're on the other end of the hall. Dad's a loud snorer and Mom's a heavy sleeper. I think that's the only reason they're still together because it's the only way they perfectly complement each other. <laughs> but my sister, my sister, she's doing the heavy panting thing and the whimpering and the grunting and holy shit, what the fuck, it's my sister. I think maybe she's watching porn. That would be a first two and almost as shocking, but no, I'm pretty sure it's all her. And I can't help but be weirded out and a little turned on and I don't know what's going on, so I do what I always do when I face something unbelievable. I start recording. My expensive, awesome microphone gets the whole thing while I sit there listening for 10 minutes, completely conflicted over what my body is doing and my brain is telling me and wondering whether I should storm over and do what. Here's another weird thing I noticed that I didn't think much of at the time. When she was done, she just stopped like someone flipping a light switch. I crept to her room and listened at the door, but I could hear her snoring lightly. She gets that from Dad. No voices from her room and only one person breathing as far as I could tell. She was alone. Next morning, her alarm went off seven times before I heard her get up and go to the shower. When she came down to breakfast, she dragged herself to the table like her limbs were weighed down. She slumped into her usual chair across from me and splashed milk into a bowl of cereal. I kept watching her until she looked up. What, she said, dribbling milk down her chin. Sleep okay, I asked. I guess. Any strange dreams? I asked. Not that I remember. She put down her spoon. Why? No reason, I said hurriedly as, as mom entered the kitchen. Probably nothing. That's not nothing, Ryan said. She pulled my earbuds from her ears and fanned her face exaggeratedly. Can I have a copy of this? Ryan, I said, it's Allie. I shoved my iPod back into my pocket, wondering if I'd made a mistake playing it for her. But I needed to share it with someone to figure out what to do. Uh-huh. I've seen the way you look at her. What the hell do you mean by that? She's my sister. I know, but... She shrugged. She's cute. I wouldn't blame you for noticing, as long as that's all you do. Ew. You must have me confused with Tony, I said. Ryan glanced up and down the hallway. Have you seen him today? Not yet. You gonna play that for him, too? Any reason I shouldn't? No, I just want to see the look on his face when you do. We caught up with Tony at lunch. His eyes widened when I played the file for him. This is Allie, he asked. I nodded. Damn, girl, he said. She must have been in a good mood this morning. She was exhausted. I guess she would be, Tony said. So what do we do about it, I asked. Nothing. It's her business, Ryan said. You know what you have to do, bro, Tony said. Hide a camera in her room. Find out if she's sneaking someone in at night or going it alone. That's disgusting, Ryan said. Aside from the fact that it's unethical to record someone without their knowledge, it's almost certainly illegal. Definitely illegal, she, she, since she's a minor. Yeah, I said, and she's my sister. Tony snorted. I've seen you check Allie out. I have not. I glared at Ryan. Did you get him to say that? She held up her hands and shook her head. Relax, Day. No judgment. She's hot, Tony said. If she were my sister. Uh, she's 13, Ryan said. Here's an idea. Before you lie and break the law, how about you try talking to her? That's going to be an awkward conversation, I said. Don't be a coward, Day. Be a good big brother. 
You know in cartoons when someone has a crisis of conscience and a little devil shows up on their shoulder to tell them the naughty thing to do? That's Tony. The angel on my other shoulder always guiding me true? That's Ryan. I was worried something was going on with them and I would be either be left out or lose one of them as a friend. Devil or angel, I needed both of them. Or who knew what kind of a mess I would get myself in. There are a few stages we go through when we hear something we don't want to be true. You're probably experiencing them right now. Stage one, shock and disbelief. When I confronted Allie in her room after school, it took me a while to get around to what I wanted to say. But after small talk about her school project and her next swim meet, after trying to talk around the question by asking her if she was interested in anyone at school, which got me the standard issue 13-year-old's eye roll, I finally came out with it. Did you have a um, friend over last night, I asked? What, Allie asked. She was concentrating on building a collage on poster board for her social studies class. She had cut images out of magazines in the shapes of each of the 50 states and was building a map of celebrity faces and ads for expensive cars, gizmos, and gadgets. One of them caught my eye, a fancy bullet-shaped vibrator. Whoa, is that, I pointed. Oh, it took Allie a moment to understand what she was looking at, bless her pure, innocent heart. Then she grabbed it, her face blushing. She turned it over to hide it, and Kim Kardashian stared up at us. <laughs> I didn't notice that on the other side of the page, she said. I just took a bunch of old magazines and newspapers from the school's art supply room. It was probably just a mistake, I said, unsure whether I was referring to the magazine scrap or what I'd heard last night. That kind of thing could cause a scandal at St. Elijah's Preparatory School, the kind of thing that could get someone expelled or fired. David, I have homework. Allie blew her bangs away from her eyes in frustration. So much homework. Her voice was high, the way it sounded when school was getting to be too much. Maybe she'd finally found a healthy way to relax from all that stress. Better than taking drugs, right? Which really wasn't any of my business, but I needed to know she was safe, and that included not letting our parents find out about whatever this was. Okay. I took a deep breath. Last night, I heard um, sounds coming from your room, kind of um, sexual sounds. You know me. I'm not too shy to say whatever comes to mind, no matter how dirty or disgusting it might be. But not with her. Not with Allie. And maybe that was my problem. I didn't want to have this conversation with her. You're wrong, she said. Nope, like maybe you were dreaming? She shook her head. Maybe you were. Why would you think, I, how could you? I held up a hand to stop her. Hold on, Allie. First of all, sex isn't something to be embarrassed about. I know, it's a beautiful thing that two people do when they're in love and very married. Direct quote there from mom when she gave me the talk. I got the same thing from dad, except he phrased it as a beautiful thing I was absolutely forbidden to do if I wanted to continue being his son. Uh, but it's almost completely wrong. Sex is kind of ugly and messy and gross if you want to be honest, but it's worth it because it feels so good. And it can kind of be beautiful if you're with the right person, and definitely if they're particularly beautiful, just being honest there. Also, love is entirely optional. It's more accurate to say two or more people and maybe some toys. Allie looked stricken. Which is to say, I know what sex sounds like, and I heard it coming from this room. No, she said, impossible. You think I would be the first to know about something like that? Her cheeks flushed. I have um, proof. Stage two, denial. That isn't me, Allie said when I played the file low so our parents wouldn't hear it. You faked this. That'd be the first time a guy faked a girl's orgasm, I said. <laughs> Why would I do that anyway? You make stuff up all the time to get people to click on your videos. Allie, I said. I didn't mean that. She covered her face. Then she covered her ears while the moaning went on and on and on. Turn it off, please. Stage three, anger. You pervert, she shouted. You thought it was me and you started recording? Shh, I only recorded it because I couldn't believe it. And you're lucky mom and dad didn't hear you too. And they never will. Delete it, she said. Sure, whatever you want. I deleted it. And the backup, she said. Okay, come watch me do it if you want. 
She followed me into my room and watched over my shoulders. I pulled up the file on my computer, deleted it, then emptied the trash. As far as I was concerned, I hoped that would be the end of it. If she was lying, because she was embarrassed or whatever, then she would try to be quieter next time so she wouldn't get caught. Ali sighed with relief after I deleted the audio file. A moment, la a moment later, she said in a low voice, you really heard that last night? Allie, I have no reason to lie about something like this. She nodded. If you hear it again, come wake me, she said. You're sure? Yeah, she said. Promise me, okay? Her voice shook. Stage four. Fear. I promise, I said. I stayed up that night waiting and listening. Allie asked me to check on her. Allie asking me to check on her made me scared. I almost would have preferred if she was lying to me instead of being just as clueless about what was going on. When I heard the first sound, a gentle mmm, followed by a series of gasps, I noted the time, 2.01 a.m. I hurried to Allie's room, but I hesitated for a minute outside her door as the sounds intensified. I imagined her sitting in bed and laughing at me when I burst into her room, trolling me. Maybe she'd snap a picture of me with her camera so she could send it to Ryan and Tony. I wouldn't even be pissed if I found out she was pranking me. Uh, but that's not what I saw at all when I eased the door to her room open. Something was hovering over Allie's bed. It was, it was kind of faint and shimmery, see-through, so I could make out Allie's yellow pennant on the wall behind it. The thing looked vaguely human-shaped, but it was sort of leaking at the edges like a bad video signal. And each time Allie moaned, it pulsed, or maybe each time it pulsed, Allie moaned. She was fully clothed, and she wasn't touching herself, so that thing must have been doing that to her. I bet you're thinking the same thing I did at first. A ghost? I know what you're really thinking. He's full of shit. I was frozen, peering through the door. Finally, when my brain rebooted, I did the only rational thing, exactly what you would do in the same situation. What the fuck, I said. The thing quickly expanded and faded into nothing. Poof. I rushed to my sister's bed. Her room was noticeably cooler than the hallway, but she was sweating. Her eyes moved rapidly under her closed eyelids, and her lip quivered like she was freezing, but she had gone quiet again, and I couldn't wake her. Allie, wake up. Wake up. I gently nudged her over and over again, and then I started shaking her. I was finally ready to go get my parents, call 911, when her eyes opened wide and she took a great gasping breath, like coming up for air after diving underwater. David, what are you, she bolted up, it happened again? I nodded. Um, do you remember anything? Do you feel anything? She shook her head. Nothing. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> like your uh, breasts don't feel sensitive or your... Um, I glanced down at her. She was wearing a ratty old Gryffindor t-shirt and track shorts. I figured she slept in cute pajamas with cartoon owls on them like she used to, but I didn't know she always dressed like this for bed or at all. David, she covered herself with a sheet decorated with cartoon dinosaurs. Sorry, but, but seriously, how do you feel? She shrugged. I feel normal. I pressed a hand to her forehead the way mom does when we're sick. She flinched away. That was not normal, I said. What did you see, she asked. You won't believe me, I said. I told her what had happened. I don't believe you, she said. That's a pretty weird story, even for you. What do we do now? Well, whatever it is, maybe it won't be back again since I interrupted it. She scrunched up her face. Whether it comes back or not, I want to know what it is. Why me? This is... Her voice became thick, like she was trying not to cry. It's horrific, Dave. What is it doing to me? Why can't I remember? It happened again the next night, a Friday. This time I was ready. I grabbed my camera on my way to her room, but the thing disappeared even before the door opened, so all I caught was more audio evidence. But I also had more information. The event began at 2.01 a.m., just like the night before. And even though I no longer had the file I'd recorded the first night, the video project I was editing had been saved last at 2.07 a.m., when I had noticed the sounds. Now convinced that something ghost-like was attacking my sister every night, I went into full-on, protective, older brother mode. Allie let me bring in Ryan and Tony to help us figure it out. Our parents were at work, yes, even on a Saturday. 
which let us talk about the situation in Allie's room without worrying they would overhear us. My friends didn't believe me either. Is this like your Sasquatch hoax, Ryan asked. First of all, Sasquatch is real, I said. I know what I saw. Bad luck that your camera lens was dirty, Ryan smirked. And it was conveniently dark in those woods. I sighed. She still thought I made up my Sasquatch sighting in another desperate attempt to get more views on YouTube, but I wouldn't fake a video. People online analyze the hell out of everything, and if they thought you were lying, you might as well change your name and move to another country. The video I shot at the National Park was dark and grainy, and yeah, there was some crap on the lens that put a blurry streak through it, but I didn't make anything up. Tony was there. He saw it too, I said. Don't drag me into this whole argument. We were drunk. I was seeing all sorts of things that night, but that doesn't make any of it real, Tony said. It looked like a bear, maybe, Ali said generously. Sorry, there's no way that thing in your video is a Sasquatch day. I'll still allow that Bigfoot could be real, but come on, now you claim you saw a ghost? Ryan gave a short, derisive laugh and threw up her hands. Why not aliens? Aside from the fact that there's no other rational explanation for what's happening to Allie, I said. Persistent genital arousal disorder, Ryan snapped her fingers. That took me two minutes to find on Google. Is that the technical term for puberty? Tony chuckled. It's a serious condition, Tony, Ryan said, an invisible, debilitating disability that either gets no medical attention or the wrong kind of attention from childish idiots like you. Tony looked chagrined. Uh-oh, I thought, what's going on there? Uh, what's persistent genital, I asked? Arousal disorder, PGAD. It causes unexplained, spontaneous orgasms that last for hours, days, or even weeks, Ryan said. Sounds awesome, Tony said. <laughs> Ryan gave him a scathing look. This is a little different. Allie's orgasms happen once a day, starting at 2 or 1 a.m. and running for about 20 minutes, I said. Allie groaned and covered her face. If you want to be scientific about it, those are the facts, I said. Hypnotism, Tony said. Not that again. Tony had been excited a few months back about web videos showing a guy hypnotizing women to have an orgasm when he gave them a keyword. Ryan eventually let Tony try it on her, but it hadn't worked, of course. Or had it? What if Tony had hypnotized Ryan into being interested in him? Because talk about an unexplained phenomena. <laughs> but that was a different problem for another time. Never mind him, Ryan said. Lately, Tony has trouble distinguishing between fact and fantasy. That's funny coming from you. Tony folded his arms across his chest and raised an eyebrow. Anyway, uh, PGAD or hypnotism, that doesn't change what I saw with my own eyes. I'm not saying it's a ghost, but it was real and it was weird. Look, it's clear something's going on and we want to help, Ryan said, but I think you should see a doctor, Allie. Medical or psychological, Allie asked. You aren't imagining this. If I hadn't noticed it, you wouldn't even know it was happening, I said. Ryan gave me a look, like she was still trying to figure out whether I was gaslighting all of them. David, asked, Allie asked. What? Uh, what if this thing has been going on for a while? I've been so tired lately. It's been hard to focus on school, swimming, everything. I frowned. For how long? A couple of months? Succubus, Tony said. <laughs> what? I turned to him. He had Google open on Allie's laptop. Hey, I didn't say you could use that. Allie slapped Tony's hand away from the keyboard. He grinned and kept reading. A succubus is a demon that has sex with men while they're sleeping. Oh, oh but wait. I wonder if there's... He typed for a minute. Incubus. That's the male form. Allie paled. Nephilim, she whispered. Huh? Tony asked. They're in the Bible, Allie said. They're fallen angels. Ryan rolled her eyes. Now we're talking about angels? Not angels, Tony said. Demons. Great. All we need is to perform an exorcism, I said. Or we call the Ghostbusters, Tony said. Oh, honey, they aren't real either, Ryan said. <laughs> There's a group nearby, a paranormal investigations group that looks into reports of psychic and spiritual activities. Tony brought up the page. Ghost sweepers. No, Allie, Ryan, and I said simultaneously. But they have cool equipment, psychokinetic energy meters, electromagnetic monitors, infrared cameras. Uh, they're just in it for the YouTube hits, I said. That sounds familiar, Ryan said. Right, and if anyone's going to get this on video, it's us. 
which gave me an idea about how I could help Allie and prove that something strange was going on. Thank you. Thanks, Eugene. Uh, so we'll be back in about 10 or 15 minutes with Sam Miller. In the meantime, um, you know, there's uh, copies of Eugene's books in the back with Word Bookstore by the door, and Sam's got stickers you can uh, come and get signed uh, for, for when his book comes out. So we'll see you in about 15. Hello. Hello there, everybody. Hi there. Welcome back to the second half of the... Okay, welcome back to the second half of the KGB uh, Fantastic Fiction Reading. I am the other, the other co-host, along with Matt, I'm Ellen Datlow, and uh, Matt told everything, he told all our secrets, yes, we've been doing this for a long time, and um, it's always free, and just have a drink, either hard liquor or soft, it doesn't matter to us, and, or the bar, you know, we just are happy to support them. Um, and over the next few months, we have some interesting readers. Okay. <laughs> um, June 21st, we have Sunny Moraine and Catherine M. Valente. Woo! July 19th, Karen Euler and N.K. Jameson, who is here tonight. Woo! August 16th, Rajan Khanna and TBA. Yeah, TBA. Big hands for TBA. September 20th, Chris Sharp and Catherine Vaz. October 18th, Kaya Shanti Wilson and James Patrick Kelly. November 15th, Grady Hendricks and David Rice. So, and after that we will see. We have some people scheduled here and there. TBA, TBA is still, is, is getting old. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'd like to welcome uh, Sam Miller. Sam Miller's short stories have appeared in publications such as Asimov Science Fiction, Clark's World, and Lightspeed, along with multiple years' best anthologies. Um, his debut novel, The Art of Starving, forthcoming from Harper Teen, was called Funny, Haunting, Beautiful, Relentless, and Powerful, a classic in the making by Book Riot. His second novel, Blackface City, will be published by Echo Press in 2018. He graduated from the Clarion UCD, uh, UCSD, no, Clarion West forever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Clarion San Diego doesn't have editors there, so I don't care. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Science Fiction and Fantasy Workshop in 2012. A finalist for multiple Nebula award Awards, along with the World Fantasy and Theodore Sturgeon Memorial Award, sorry. He won the 2013 Shirley Jackson Award for his short story, 57 Reasons for the Slate Quarry Suicides. His work has just been nominated for the Jackson Award in both the short story and novelette categories. And I think the Hugo Award? No, not, Matt, you steered me wrong. You also said the Hugo. Anyway, all right, well, still, you know. Please welcome Sam, Sam J. Miller. Thanks, everybody. So I'm going to read from my novel, The Art of Starving. Thank you. I'm afraid of that. Uh, and so this is my debut novel. It's a young adult kind of science fiction. 
and it's the first time I'm reading from it, and I'm totally not even a little bit nervous. I'm going to read from the very beginning and the very end, uh, so I can hook you and then show you the fireworks um, and make you want to buy it. <laughs> Rule number two. For the student of the art of starving, and dear reader, that is what you are, knowledge is the most important weapon. The strongest warrior in the world cannot achieve victory if she does not comprehend with perfect clarity the fight that she's fighting. Here is the most fundamental fact, the most essential rule. Hunger makes you better, smarter, sharper. I have learned this through practical experimentation. Try it yourself sometime and see. Skip lunch and watch what happens. I'm not talking about sitting in a classroom or a cubicle. Go out into the world. Put yourself in challenging situations. Walk a crowded sidewalk, run errands, get in an argument you've been putting off for a while. Your brain, your nose, your eyes are suddenly turned up to 11. Your skin tingles, newly sensitive. Your muscles thrum with energy. Hunger is your body working as hard as it can, so all the bullshit gets set aside. Based on how much I've gone on and on about how hungry I was, you might have gotten the mistaken impression that I'm an impoverished waif, starving from noble poverty. This is not the case. Whatever my mom's money troubles, she keeps the cupboard stocked. We lose cable sometimes, but never meals, especially since Maya left. Mom told her closest friends, but not for some reason the cops, about Maya's disappearance, and now people show up at our doorstep with all kinds of food, pressing plates of cookies and bowls of pasta salad and baskets of salami into my mom's hands. That won't last forever, though, and I, for one, am desperate for it to stop. Resisting a fridge full of my mom's friend Cheryl's feta calamata ca casserole is torture. No, my hunger has no such dignity. I am that most wretched of creatures, the first world boy who sends his vegetables to the garbage when there are starving children in China. Across town, there are trailer park kids who eat three lunches at school because there's no food for them at home, and here I am feeding the trash can. In my defense, though, I like vegetables. I like food, no matter how healthy or unhealthy. I was always an obedient eater, unlike my sister, who, my mother will be the first to tell you, is picky. She'll say it like that, too, with a capital letter, like a medical condition or a deadly sin. My sin, my condition, is way worse. I choose not to eat because I'm an enormous, fat, greasy, disgusting creature that no one will ever feel attracted to. Now, you can't see me, but if you could, you'd probably say what everyone else says. What are you talking about? You are so skinny. Here, eat something. No, really, take my sandwich. And finally, my favorite, Matt, you're crazy. If you did say one of these things, I do what I do with everyone who says one of those things, which is smile, nod, and silently hate you forever. <laughs> For you lie. Thanks to the magic of after-school specials, I know that a disconnect between what I see and what others see is a very banal aspect of eating disorders. Here's the thing. What I have is not an eating disorder. I'm pretty sure boys can't even get eating disorders. Lord knows there aren't any after-school specials about that. My best guess is that a spell has been cast on me so that everyone else sees me as a scrawny, gangly bag full of bones and I alone see the truth, which, as I have mentioned, is that I am an enormous, fat, greasy, disgusting creature. This whole thing is not easy. It's a fight most days, me versus food. Food usually wins. My body, that traitorous thing, makes me cry uncle drags me to the cupboard and makes me frantically scoop peanut butter out of the jar and into my mouth with my finger until I gag on it. But that day, the one that started out with me telling off Ott, I was winning. I was stronger than my hunger. For once, I was in control of something. By lunch, I was buzzing, flying, on fire. I watched in horror as boys chewed with their mouths open, spoke with their mouths full, spat flecks of food when they laughed, 
their voices sounding low and dragged out, like time had slowed down just a little for everyone in the school but me. Everything was going smoothly, then lunch fucked it all up. You probably already know about lunch. High school cafeterias, the stink of scorched taco, meat, and spilled sour milk, hundreds of hormonal mammals heaping abuse on each other and preening for potential mates. If you told me it was a complex sociological experiment or a brutal gladiator-style reality show dreamed up by rich spectators somewhere, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I spent 50 cents on a side of tater tots, not intending to eat them. Hey, Matt, Op said, swiveling on his seat. His voice had the high commanding tone that demanded his fellow barbarians come to attention, that signaled he'd be hurting someone for their benefit and amusement. I didn't say anything. I picked up a tater tot, dipped it in ketchup, put it back down. Do your worst, muggles, I thought. Sooner or later, someone will come along and tell me I'm the chosen one, and then you can be damn sure I'll punish every one of you who hurt me, me and the people I love. Been wondering something. I turned to look at him. Bastion grinned and leaned forward, the slick, haughty haircut of a filthy rich kid cocked sideways. Tariq stared deep into his phone. Beyond them, dozens of people who don't matter licked their lips or started up text messages and status updates to report the coming fireworks. House Maya, haven't seen her around in a little while. An ooh went through the crowd. She's fine, I said, and in a panic, stuffed three tater tots into my mouth. Rule number 48. As previously stated, the manufacturers of the human body have a very strict returns policy. You can't simply snap your fingers and say, okay, I'm done, take it away, boys. You can't just decide to stop being alive. You have to actually do something, usually something pretty sucky. When I got to the slaughterhouse, it was abandoned, shut down for the night, which would have been unheard of a month before, but these were the final days of its transition into obsolescence. The workers were home in their beds, asleep, unemployed, poised to lose everything, so no one could stop or even see me as I raised my arms and watched the massive hydraulic loading bay door open slowly as I walked in and followed the familiar metal walkway that my mom used to take me and Maya down when we were little. She'd point out the pigs in their cages and then take us down to the huge long freezer hall where the cleaned, skinned, hacked apart carcasses were kept, always careful not to let us anywhere near the bloody slaughter rooms. I blinked those memories away. How had I gotten here? I was outside my body, watching myself. I was a force of nature. I could do anything. No one could stop me. What did it matter what a forest fire did? Who was to blame for a flood? Easy as thinking about it, I used my power and erased my image from every camera I walked past. I felt them as I moved into the main bay, every pig asleep and dreaming in its cage. They tingled like extensions of my body, limbs I never knew I had. And when I whispered, awake, I could feel them open their eyes, fear keeping them silent, confusion making them anxious, for they are aware of me as a predator, but they perceive no threat from me. Unlocking the cages was the only truly difficult part of the whole process. I had to kneel and put both hands on the metal grid floor, extend myself through it to the entire iron system of cages and doors and locks, smell the overwhelming, almost fatal stink of the ocean of pig shit that waited beneath me, for every cage was built on the same grid so excrement could pass easily through. I felt for the locks, fumbled around the bars and slotting mechanisms, grunted and thrusted a couple of times before they moved, and then they only rattled against their own restraints. 
and then it was shaking every door, lifting and pushing, pulling and easing, and the pigs began to whistle and snort anxiously, and then the gates swung open as one. Two thousand pigs stepped daintily into freedom. Pigs are omnivorous. Pigs eat people all the time. And some of these pigs were big, with fierce tusks and eyes full of rage, the kind of totally understandable rage you'd have if you spent your whole life in a cage so small you could not turn around. And once they were out, when it was too late to turn back, that's when it occurred to me to be afraid. They might eat me, I thought. They stood still or wandered around, snuffling nervously, socializing awkwardly. Once again, as I had at Bastion's party, I pierced the veil of separation. I understood that the same divine spark lived inside of them. I could feel on my skin, in my arms, in my brain, the army of docile minds at my command. When I turned and headed for the exit, they followed me. Here is something you maybe don't know. Up close, like really close, close enough to make eye contact and feel weird about it, pigs are freaky. <laughs> there is something so close to human about their faces, and something so intelligent, too. If science discovered tomorrow that pigs were a race of hyper-intelligent aliens who had spent thousands of years studying humanity to prepare for some horrific mass extermination, I wouldn't be a bit surprised, and we totally deserve it. Pigs are monstrous-looking things, and I marched my own army of monsters into town. As we moved, I wrapped myself in a thick, wide cloud of pheromone smell, a fog that said, do not look here, there is nothing to see, there is no one, which is as close as I could come to an invisibility cloak. They grew boisterous as we marched. They had never experienced freedom before. They had never felt night air on their skin. They made loud noises. They rooted in garbage. They fought. They did not mind the cold. Whether through pheromones or mere force of will, I controlled them as effortlessly as my own arms. And as we went, my anger seeped into them. Theirs seeped into me. I felt the layout of the town ahead of me, smelled where everyone who had ever done me wrong was sleeping. I broke 200 pigs off from the pack, sent them to Ott's house. I sent 200 more to the high school. Destroy, I told them. Break windows, tusk down doors, get inside, roar, squeal, swarm, rip down curtains, shred paintings, crush toys. Harm no people, but harm ruin everything they own. Make them wish they were dead. Eat whatever you want. Shit on everything. Lights went on as we walked. Screams sounded. I felt bad knowing how many good and innocent people would be terrified in their beds by my squealing army. And dimly, distantly, I wondered if so much collateral damage was necessary when who I really wanted to hurt was my father. But no, there were lots of people I really wanted to hurt, and I would get to all of them. McDonald's, Walmart, the correctional facility, everywhere people made a living exploiting other people, working them like animals, I broke off a smaller group of pigs to decimate and disrupt. And I could see them, hear their breath, and watch the world through their eyes feel their joy at shattering glass, snarfing down gaping mouthfuls of frozen french fries, shredding stuffed animals, tipping pharmacy shelves into a domino effect of chain reaction chaos. I tasted the food they ate, but it did not diminish my hunger. I took my pigs through the rich neighborhood. I ravaged every expensive, beautiful thing I would never have, and each new spray of broken glass thrilled me, rocked me with waves of pleasure. Every act of violence and destruction thrummed in my body like a chord on the guitar of me. To punish the guilty, to destroy the proud, it felt good, righteous, intoxicating, like when you beat a hard level in a video game. But when each act was over, I was hungry again, hollow again. Violence temporarily filled the void, but it faded fast, and the void remained. Cold emptiness and the sound of sirens. I took off my shoes, felt the frozen earth beneath me, felt every single fire, 
breathed out, fed them oxygen, saw them swell. I fanned the flames with every step I took. A hundred spiraling swirls of flame blossomed behind me as we moved. A gunshot, two gunshots, followed by pigs shrieking. Pain flared through my shoulders where one of my pigs had been shot. The other pigs felt it too. The agony threaded through all of us as we shared one poor sane mind. They squealed as one, and then they got angrier. By the time I got to where I was going, I only had 300 pigs left, but that was more than enough to utterly destroy Bastion's house. At a clap of my hands, they charged the doors. Two climbed onto the backs of others to better bash in windows. Smash, I thought, ravage, crush, dismantle, gut, mutilate. The thesaurus pulsed in my veins, the sheer pleasure of words combining with the joy of violence. Thank you. That's going to be out in July, right? Yep. Okay. And from Harper? Harper Teen? Yep. Okay. I got stickers to sign. Stickers. He's got stickers. And um, Eugene, there are books uh, for, from, by Eugene that you can buy back there from Word Bookstore and have him sign. And some free ones so I don't have to bring them home. <laughs> and some free ones so he doesn't have to bring them home. So, where are the free ones? They're the little um, short stories, like the pamphlets. Yeah, don't make him suffer. Don't make him, he has to go all the way home to Hershey, Pennsylvania. They look really light, but when you have like 40 of them, and he'll really And he'll sign them for you. Yeah, they'll sign them. Yeah. So, and anyway, hang out and drink and just, uh, you know, hang out. And consider supporting the, um, the fundraiser that'll be going on for a month and see you next month. You have been listening to the Fantastic Fiction at KGB podcast, recorded live at the KGB Bar. We hope you enjoyed what you heard, and we thank you for listening. We also wish to thank Gordon Linzer for providing the audio, and Rajan Khanna, that's me, for the introduction and farewell. And always, thanks to our many fans of Fantastic Fiction at KGB for supporting us all these years. See you next month.